the last couple of weeks we've been touching on this idea of the circle. So there's don't don't confuse the two. There's full circle discipline that Pastor Rich introduced several weeks ago. And that is the process of walking your child through thinking about what they've done, um, what the consequences of that are, um, and bringing them back around to what should they have done and what should they do now. And um the circle that we're talking, that I'm talking about here is, uh, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, that inside of the circle, it's the area you're trying to help them understand they should live in, the prescribed way of living that God gives us in His Word. And inside of the circle is a place of blessing, but outside of the circle is a place of God's judgment. And, um, this week's lesson is a topic that can be particularly painful. Um, this is a topic that no family is immune from, and uh, it's one that we uh, would rather not think about, but it's really important that we do think about so that we are, our um, goal is fixed on and uh, our trust in the Lord in spite of this topic, is fixed on the same truths we've been talking about. So this is a challenge. The topic of rebellion this week is is our topic. This is a challenge uh, to our task as parents, um, but it's an important one that we think about because any one of us may find ourselves dealing with this. And and as I'll talk about, all of us will to some degree. Can you guys hear that? It's my little dog telling me that she needs, she needs my attention. <laughs> um, so as I, as I go into this, uh, Julie's coming to rescue me from the dog. <laughs> Thanks, son. Um, as I go into this beginning of this week's lesson, the key concept laid out for us is godly parents go to battle for the heart of their children, for the heart of their child. And this phrase at the bottom, never give up, is emphasized in the chapter. If you've had a chance to look at that, um, it's emphasized over and over again, regardless of the stage at which the child is. And uh, that's a recurring theme. And I want to emphasize that as we start off that, um, you know, it, it may be as, as I look at who's here tonight, you guys are all on the early side of parenting um, none of you is dealing with a 16, 17 year old child that appears to be, you know, wanting to emancipate, move out of the house and in stark rebellion to everything they've been taught. Um, but as, as we'll see as I talk about this, that could happen to any one of us. And so it's important that we think through this and we recognize that, um, that we should never give up because uh, the Lord is faithful, even though we are not, even though our children are not. So let's, let's talk about, uh, the principles laid out in the notes. Let me, uh, pull that back in front of me here. So the, the first concept that I want to impress on us is that child training is a process. It's a process. And this should seem intuitive enough. <laughs> it's something that we, uh, begin from the time we bring our children home, and it's something that we're going to be working on until they move out and are out on their own, independent, out from under our uh, authority as their parents. And um, it's important that we remember 
how this pre- how this process is intended to work because it's going to help us kind of keep our bearings as we go through it and keep the objective in front of us when it's very tempting to get thrown off of what our true objective is. So the first part of this process, letter A, if you're following along on the outline in the um, in the notes, that it begins with an immature child and total parental control. That's where we bring them home. They don't eat. They don't, they fill their diaper without our permission, but they, they don't eat. They don't sleep. Everything is dependent on us. In fact, they'll fall into patterns, but our goal is to try and help them establish, uh, healthy patterns. You know, babies, uh, babies don't naturally do everything exactly like they need to do it. Um, and so we, we try to help them get the sleep they need. We try to make sure that they're eating enough and we're looking out for sickness and anything that might be happening that's out of the ordinary and we're trying to guide. And as they get older, uh, that gets into, and they start asserting their own will, we start trying to point them in the right direction, the kind of things that we've been talked about talking about the last couple of weeks. Um, because we have an end in mind. We, we, we start them here as immature and doing everything for them. And we're trying to move them to the ultimate end goal, which is ending up with a mature young adult that is exercising self-control. And always, of course, under the authority of their creator, their savior, Jesus, this, this is, there's always authority over us, but they're, we're moving them to a point where they can be out from under our authority. And now they are self controlled they're they're um uh guiding their own life under the authority of of god's word and jesus as their creator and savior and this process doesn't happen overnight that's the third thing under this child training and discipline as a process it necessarily happens over time so it can get you know it can get frustrating we can go through many challenges in this process because, you know, we, we start off at the beginning and we just want to get there. We want to, you know, we encounter the first stages of the, our child's asserting of their own will. And we want to get past this stage. This, you know, I feel like I'm always correcting them and we want to, we want to move through to the point where they're a mature young adult, but that is a long process. So my point in talking about this is one to remind us of where we come from and where we're headed, that there is a goal in mind and that should guide us all along the way. But then also to remind us that we have to hunker down for the long haul. This is a long game. It's not uh, a sprint. It is a distance run. And that's where this topic that we're covering today comes in rebellion because rebellion is a child's attempt to find an illegitimate exit from this process. So the process designed for us to start them at total in total dependence and move them to independence or God dependence. And there, when a child rebels, they're looking for an off ramp that is other than maturity and self-control under the authority of their savior. So couple notes about this. First of all, it doesn't always look the same. Rebellion is not some cookie cutter, 
you know, okay, you'll know your child is in rebellion when they come home from fifth grade and they have tattoos and they're smoking a cigar. That's, it's not always the same. Uh, it takes many forms and the younger they are, the more subtle it is. And as, as we, as I look through the chapter this week, it was, it was helpful that they spoke a lot to distinction and how you deal with this based on age. And so I just, I just want to highlight that rebellion does not always look the same. And it's not something that's primarily happening externally. It's something that's happening in our hearts. And here's, here's the key principle to remember. Rebellion's at the root of who all of us naturally are, apart from God's grace. We are born rebels. That's why the Bible says things like foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. So ultimately, every one of our children are in the default position, a rebel. And we're trying to help them see that because that is where uh, their awareness of their need for God's grace will be, uh, will come to their attention. So rebellion is a child's attempt to find illegitimate exit from the process of discipline and training. Um, doesn't always look the same. And it, rebellion is a natural part of who we are apart from God's grace. And as a result, the third thing uh, under the second main point there is that rebellion can only be cured by regeneration. And I'm going to talk more about this later, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this right here. But the cure to rebellion is not obedience. I mean, I guess if we could obey, that would be the cure. <laughs> but we're incapable in and of our ourselves in our natural state in our old nature we're not able to obey god uh perfectly and so regeneration is the goal so um dealing with rebellion then this is not just a behavioral issue it goes much deeper it goes to issues of the heart really that are at the core of all of our parenting strategy that we're talking about so so the the Time, the segment that I want to spend the most time on here today then is the fact that biblical principle must be the basis of our strategy for dealing with rebellion. Biblical principle has got to be the basis of your strategy. You know, you may find helpful resources, uh, from a number of places, um, strategies on uh, redirecting strategies on trying to help children understand the benefits and the detriments of, uh, benefits of obedience, detriments of rebellion and, um, all kinds of things you might find helpful technique wise and strategy wise. But ultimately what God's word says has to be the foundation of dealing with this. Um, because the, the issue is an issue of the heart and God's word is the thing that speaks to that. So a couple, couple principles related to this. First of all, perfect parenting, perfect parenting. Julie, I don't know what is going on with the dogs. They're like <laughs> trying to climb in my chair. <laughs> um, this is walk time. They usually get a walk right now. Let's be, I think he's afraid of her. Sorry guys for this distraction. Um, perfect parenting, if it existed, would not guarantee that your child won't rebel. Um, and Genesis three here, just to, we're not going to turn to it, but, um, the, 
the principle here is, or the uh, idea here is, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, you've got God creating the first man and the first woman in the garden and giving them very simple guidelines. Um, he gives them a mandate of what they're supposed to do and one prohibition. And I don't think we, you know, I don't think it's possible to find fault with what God did. And yet the man still rebels against God. And uh, I think it's important for us to get out of our mind that this is entirely dependent on us. Just like I said in the last point of, of our last section there, rebellion can only be cured by regeneration. Um, that's true because um, it's something that only God can fix. And therefore, perfect parenting, if it existed, it doesn't exist. If it existed, will not guarantee that a child will not rebel. So that that should take a little... Uh, um, uh, I don't, it should give us a proper perspective. I don't want to take the pressure off of us to try to be good parents because God does charge us with the responsibility to guide our children. Um, so we should feel responsible, but we should also recognize that we can't ultimately change our child's heart. We can just point them to God. We can show them what his word says. We can remind them why they keep running into that brick wall when they try to obey it and fail. Um, but we got to get out of our heads that we're going to do it perfectly. So um, the book does a really good job, as I told you earlier, of recognizing the different um, levels at which we'll experience this in the life of our child, this idea of rebellion. And it's important that we recognize that the age of your child will impact how you approach the problem of rebellion. And I'm going to, I'm going to spend a good bit of time here and, and just kind of think through with you how, as I read through what the, uh, the book said, and as I think through this topic, just from experience of parenting and, uh, what God's word says and working with youth for a number of years, um, you can think about this probably is helpful to think about this in three eras, if you will. Uh, there's the childhood era. So when your children are infants up to sixth grade, and this is the era where you're really focusing on uh, this strategy that we've been talking about in detail every week, the different aspects of, of parenting, and you're working your plan. You are, you are holding yourself accountable to be consistent at doing these things we've been talking about. And you're looking at your child's life. You're being attentive to who your child is, where their struggles are, and you're trying to parent them uh, according to what God's word says, but giving special attention to their needs because not every child is is the same. You know, different children struggle with different things just like we do. Um, and so we have to recognize that early attention to the heart of rebellion that that we all have. And as you see it displaying itself, this can mitigate more serious problems that come later. So that means we don't take lightly when we see that little, that little uh, rebelliousness in our children, our young children rearing its head. Um, it doesn't mean we have to go on the war path every time our children disobey, but it means that we, we recognize that even those little um, areas of willful disobedience in young children are important to address, you know, lovingly, but, uh, consistently. 
so that they can see the struggle that they're having. And we want to impress upon our child the pattern from God's word. And here's a, here's an important principle. I love the way uh, Betsy put it in the book. We want to teach them that when they choose to sin, they are choosing to suffer because they're running away from the source of life. So there's the phrase, choose to sin, choose to suffer. They're running away. When they run away from God, they're running away from the source of life and health and goodness. And this can be a really hard thing to do, to be consistent, and especially when our children are little, because, you know, we talked about uh, punishment and, and spanking and just in general discipline, whether it's corporal punishment or uh, de- deprivation of something that the child enjoys or whatever type of punishment it is and discipline that we're allowing them to experience. It's hard because we love our children. We don't like to see them sad. We don't like to see them uh, experience pain. But it's very important, it's vital for us to allow them to experience consequences of their choices to rebel, even even the little disobediences when they're little, and then the, the consequences are little as well. But this is a really vital thing for them to be learning at that time, because we want them to understand as they grow that when they choose to sin, they're choosing to suffer. They're running away from the good God who loves them. So that's the first stage, children, and it's doing all the kind of things that we've talked about. But it gets more serious when we move into the second stage of young adulthood. This is, we're talking junior high. Um, we're talking seventh grade to uh, through high school, uh, up to 18 years old. This is young adulthood. Um, and I know we don't think of junior high as young adulthood, Um And in our culture, it's probably not fair to treat junior hires as young adults and expect as much of them as we would of what we call a young adult. But through much of human history, that has been the case, you know, and in much of human history, people at 12 and 13 years old were taking on adult responsibilities, were doing things like going to war and um, starting families and uh, I'm at a very, you know, 14, 15 years old. We don't think of, we're happy if our 15 year old will make their bed. Um, but we have very low expectations in modern American culture and in modern culture in general on young people. Um, but in spite of that, uh, this is a vital age and uh, it's important that we've done what I described in the childhood stage so that hopefully we've laid the foundation that the the things we experience in this age uh, are not as severe. But as I said at the beginning, this can happen in the life of any child because they are making choices uh, what to do with what we've taught them. So young adulthood, junior high through 18, this is entering stages of if, if rebellion is not, um, repented of if they if they are not submissive to their parents and to the lord heading into this age it's serious it, this is the start of serious rebellion and again it doesn't always look the same it doesn't mean that they're going out to the club it doesn't mean that they're on drugs per se but uh whatever form their rebellion is taking as they enter into this stage if they're not submitting regularly as a pattern of life to what God says and to you as their parents, the stakes are very high. And uh, in the book, there are some examples of this one, their daughter in particular, they, they share the example. And one of the themes that um, recurs in their stories is 
how high the stakes are, number one, and that giving up is not an option. I mean, these guys literally went to battle for their daughter. Um, they were so serious about this that they uprooted the entire family and moved because that's what they, as they evaluated the situation, that's what they deemed was necessary. And um, so couple couple caveats on that. What this does not mean is necessarily that you have to go into dictator mode. Um, but uh, this does mean that the stakes are high and that you act and react as if their life depends on it, because it may. It really may. So as a child gets into, you know, junior high and high school, if rebellion is, uh, the pattern of life that they're adopting, then, uh, it, it is not, the stakes will not get lower as they move toward moving out of your house. They're going to get higher. And so things like allowing them to feel consequences, um, not backing down from the insistence that you are an authority, a God-given authority in their life, and that they have to submit to that authority because if they don't, they're not submitting to God. Um, that That's something that we can't take lightly in that age. And so um, this can mean all kinds of things. I said that the stakes are high and we shouldn't give up, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do what the Cornings did. Um, it just means that you have to take very seriously um, things like lying to parents. Um, uh, they had some extreme examples, but get, uh, doing it, participating in activities that are, are something you forbid or, um, um, you know, I can, I can think of numerous examples and we'll have time to talk about specific examples when we get into discussion time, but you guys follow what I'm saying with this. This is the stage of, of, Rebellion being seriousness, uh, or uh, being serious. And then, um, I, I said, finally, we need to ensure that our child is allowed to feel the consequences of their rebellious choices. And I want to cite one of the things that Betsy said in the book here. Um, she says, knowing the possibility that our children can and will make foolish mistakes can be chilling especially when we're so concerned for their welfare and that their choices not be dangerous or outside the circle. Remember the picture of the circle, the place outside of the circle is the place of God's judgment. So as we see them moving outside of the circle and we give warning and we set boundaries and they crash through them, it can be chilling to see that happen. And we're geared for their protection. That's what we're there for, right? To protect them. And so we naturally are tempted to absorb consequences for them or to shield them from consequences. But Betsy says, she goes on to say, in fact, as parents, we can become more focused on sheltering them from foolish choices than from letting them bear the consequences of those choices. Knowing the possibility that our children can and will make foolish mistakes can be chilling. Whoops, I pasted that twice, sorry. Um in fact, as parents, we can become more focused on shelling them from foolish choices than letting them bear the consequences of those choices. Yeah, I pasted that twice. Sorry. <laughs> um, so she's, she's emphasizing the fact that, uh, sometimes the quickest route to helping your child wake up to the destruction of the path that they're on is letting them feel the repercussions. Uh, letting them feel the the earth shaking beneath them because of the choices that they're making. And the reason that 
all of this is so serious is because the next stage is adulthood, 18 and, and beyond. When, when our children turn 18, they're now responsible, for, and in our culture, I guess I should say, they're responsible for their own life choices. This is the time legally in our country, in our culture, where we don't, um, you know, we, we can't tell them what to do anymore. Um, you know, in, in God's economy, uh, parents are always able to be guides for their children. Uh, but even our goal that we talked about at the beginning is that they take responsibility now for their own choices before God and that they answer to him directly as, as, a, uh, as their authority. So we don't help them if we shield them from the consequences of their rebellious choices. In fact, uh, I love the way the chapter uh, described this. Betsy said, do not finance a rebellion. So oftentimes as our children grow into adulthood and continue on a rebellious path, if they've, if they've determined they're going to go that way, they begin to, you know, when they're living at home and making self-destructive choices, uh, that God says, don't live this way. He, he attaches all kinds of promises to, uh, a life of honor and obedience to your parents. Um, you know, this, he says, this is the first commandment with a promise. If you obey your parents, uh, that, that your life may, that it may go well with you and you have a long life in the earth. He's saying, I, I've designed it this way for your welfare. And when they start rejecting that and they're pursuing a path that is, um, by God's design, not good for them. Um, the, the sooner that we can allow them to feel the repercussions of that, the, the more likely it is that they're going to wake up from, from that path of self-destruction. So back up again through the, through the earlier stage with me and <clears throat> we allow them to feel the, um, results of their rebellion while they're living at home. There's a built-in safety net to that, even when we let them feel uh, the consequences. So they break something at somebody else's house, and we hold them responsible to fix it or to pay for it. Um, they're not going to get kicked out of their house because they lost all their money on that mistake, and now they don't have money to pay their mortgage or their rent or to buy food. We're supplying all of that for them still. There's a bigger safety net there. Um, eventually, it's going to get to the point where they are out on their own, and if they make foolish choices like that, the consequences are more serious. They They may not have a way to pay for their place to live or the food that they need or the basic necessities. And so back into the adulthood stage again, it can be very tempting for us to then, you know, maybe we were more hard nosed about it when they were living at home, but now they're out on their own. Excuse me. They persisted in this path of rebellion and now the stakes are really high and uh, it's tempting to bail them out. We have to be very careful of that. And this can be the most painful thing. Uh, this is something that I've seen up close in my own family um, because the path of self-destruction is not pretty. But this is where uh, God's word calls us to model for them what we're telling them that they should be doing. What are we telling them that they should be doing? They want something that they're pursuing and we're telling them don't don't do that you should believe what god says that this way is better 
we're, we're telling them they need to trust the Lord instead of just pursuing their own way. And that's what we need to model for them, trusting the Lord. And this is, this is one of the things that kept uh, recurring in, in the chapter, as Betsy told the example of, of her daughter's, um, rebellion that, that she says, I remember finally giving the situation with Emily over to, to God and praying, Lord, do what you want with her. She is yours. Up to that point, I had been begging God for her protection. But the breakthrough for me came when I gave her over to him completely. Before that, I was not trusting that he was really watching out for her best interest because of what was happening. Allow God to give, allow God to have his way with your child. This includes testing, trials, and consequences if they have to choose, uh, if they choose to step out from fearing him. This is the biggest lesson I've learned in being a mother. After years of always striving to make sure nothing would go wrong in my children's lives, of protecting them from so much, I realized that they are really the Lord's and not mine, and that he can allow whatever he chooses to mold them into who he wants them to be. So when it comes to a child who rejects what we teach them, and this is, again, you got to keep this in the proper context. I'm not saying that we... uh give up, you know, our child's 12 and they just are obstinate and we just like, okay, fine, you're on your own. That's not what we're saying here. But a child that persists in rebellion, we have to remember ultimately that our child's um, care is ultimately in the hands of the Lord. And so the the last uh, point here is that God's grace enabling repentance in a rebellious child is their only hope. So if our child persists in rebellion against our authority and ultimately what they're doing then is rebelling against God's authority, the only hope they have is God's grace enabling repentance. And so we have to be willing to to allow them to be subject to whatever God's going to allow into their life to bring that to pass. And sometimes it's pain and it's experiencing the results of rebellion. Um, and remember that principle we said at the beginning, choose to sin, choose to suffer. Uh, the longer, the further in life your child chooses to reject what you've taught them from God's word and chooses to sin, the more intense the suffering that comes as a result of that. And God's grace to enable them to repent is the only thing that can can help with that. And so what, what does that look like? What does repentance look like? So all the way through going back to the childhood stage through junior high and the more serious uh, repercussions beginning to develop with rebellion into adulthood, what's this look like? Because this is what we're aiming for. This is what we want to see happen in the, the life of our child. So what does that look like? And the Bible tells us that um, repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of life. A change of mind resulting in a change of life. The actual word for repentance in the New Testament literally uh, means that to change your thinking. It's a it's a turning of your thinking. And uh, the book goes through, I think it's maybe eight uh, signs of repentance. 
eight characteristics. I think it's eight of them. It might be seven. I forget. I kind of reorganized them as I was trying to think, all right, what are the, what are the big buckets here? And really it, it comes down to two, I think two categories. One is confession. Repentance is evidenced by fruit. And I, I listed some verses down there, by the way, um, just to give you the context there. Matthew 3, 8, that's John the Baptist. As all the religious teachers came down to where he was baptizing, um, he kind of scolds them because they're just curious what's going on and they're trying to, uh, they're not really coming down to evidence that they've repented and want to be baptized. And he, he kind of scolds them and he says, show fruit in keeping with repentance. And uh, Acts twenty twenty one is uh, very similar to this. It's it's talking about um, the change that comes to pass uh, when we when we repent and we follow Jesus. So that's kind of the picture: is we're going our own way, we turn around, our thinking changes, and now our direction has changed. So confession is the first thing, and that means we say the same thing about sin that God says about it. So here are the details of the, the principles of repentance that Betsy provided. We don't rationalize it anymore. When we, when we repent, we say the same thing about our sin that God does. We don't rationalize it. We are genuine, genuinely grieved over it. We're sorry that we've done it. We don't want to embrace it any longer. Uh, number three, we recognize that it's repulsive to God. And so we're repulsed by it. And uh, number four under confession is I accept the consequences for my sin and I'm willing to make restitution where possible. So I say the same thing about my sin that God does. And then I seek restored communion. I want to worship God now. I'm joyful about worshiping God. And I long to be in fellowship with God. I, I begin to abhor my sin because I see that it pulls me away from God. And I desire the fellowship of the body of Christ. I want to be around other believers, and I'm interested in making myself accountable in the body of believers. The picture I've, I've over the years given to the teenagers is this. Um, you know, the Bible teaches in Romans that we are slaves to sin. That's how we're born. And Paul says when when the Spirit lives in us, we're no longer slaves to sin. When we trust Christ as our Savior and God begins to change us from the inside out, we're no longer slaves. We now are free to be slaves to righteousness. And so here's the picture. Imagine somebody kidnaps you and you, they tape, put duct tape on your wrists and they throw you in the trunk of their car and they're driving off with you. And somebody sees this happen and they run up and they, they stop the driver and they, they apprehend the driver and they open the trunk and they pull you out. They cut the tape off of your wrists and they say, oh, you're free and you, you're you're finally uh, rescued from that captivity. And uh, the picture that Paul um, draws in that analogy in Romans is that uh, we should no longer then yield our members as slaves to sin, but we should live in a way that's congruent with us being rescued now. So when we live, when we allow ourselves to live as slaves to sin, it's like that person who is pulled out of the trunk and the duct tape was caught, uh, cut off of them. It's like them covering their own mouth again, reaffastening the duct tape and junk, jumping in the trunk. And that's, th- that would be ridiculous, right? And, but that's what it's like if we, 
embrace our sin. And that's, that's, um, not what would naturally happen to somebody who's rescued. So repentance is the goal. If we have a child that is living in rebellion, then repentance is the objective that we have for them. And that means that, uh, they would confess and that they would be eager to have their relationships, um, their relationship with God, the relationship with us restored. So I think that is, uh, that is it. Our verse for, uh, this week is, did it change over there? Yeah. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. And this, I think, is in keeping with the idea that we don't give up uh, when it comes to our children and we're willing to do hard things uh, and to pursue them and to pray for them. And even as they're adults, to care enough to allow them to feel the the um, consequences of their running from God.